All right, good morning, everybody. We're going to be in Deuteronomy chapters 1 and 2. I know I said, I think, 1 through 5 last time, but I, I'd have a tough time getting through that. So um, we're going to do 1 and 2 this morning. And then we have communion, so kind of need to get at it here. Uh, sign-up sheet for the women's luncheon is next Saturday. It's at 10.30, so the sign-up sheet's out there. Please get signed up if you plan on coming. And also, if you found out you're not able to make it, please cross your name off so we know how much food and how many tables to set up. Um, you can bring a friend, obviously. Um, and if that friend's maybe, maybe going to be a no-show, but you're going to be there for sure, still sign him up so we're, we're prepared for him and we have a place for him and all. So keep that in mind. Next Saturday at 10.30 is the women's luncheon. Um, and there's some other things going on, but the slides will be showing all that stuff as, as we get closer to those dates. Uh, breaking Chains is coming up, the uh, garage sales coming up, uh, camp, um, a lot of things uh, coming up. And also there's a men's retreat. Um, it's, you know, retreat, it's kind of funny because it's Saturday only. So they do a Friday night worship, and then the actual speaking and teaching begins on Saturday morning. So that's down in Kansas City. We'll get the information out for that. I think that's April 20th or somewhere around there. Um, there's a bigger one in St. Joseph that happens um, in September or so. So um, those are two. Uh, and that's for everybody. That's uh, not just men. That's, uh, that's just anybody that wants to go. So uh, keep those things in mind, and we'll get more information for you. All right. Deuteronomy, it means the second law. Moses is going over everything to this next generation as they uh, enter the promised land, as they begin to obey God. And so he gives them a short, well, a long synopsis of their history. Um, but it is uh, somewhat abbreviated. Um, in these first two chapters, he just goes over some things. Now, here's why. These kids have no memory of Egypt. Most of them don't remember that. I mean, maybe the 20-year-olds that are now 40-year-olds remembered being brought out of Egypt, but um, for the most part, they don't remember the, the suffering and, and the, what God's delivered them from. And so their struggle is going to be not, you know, of course, the last generation's struggle was wanting to go back to Egypt too, um, but these folks struggle. This new generation is going to be, what's wrong with Egypt? I mean, I know you told me it was bad, but I've never experienced it um, before. And, and, and you run into that, um, I think, with families that have uh, the first generation who's come to Christ and is actually a born-again believer, not just a church attender, not just someone who's always been a Christian in name, but has been born again, filled with the Spirit. They begin to rate and set free from Egypt and all their sins, they begin to raise their family up, and the kids are raised in a godly home. They don't know what it's like to live in Egypt or to be delivered from Egypt. And so you've got those kids that are kind of looking and thinking, well, what, what's exactly wrong with it again? I mean, it doesn't look like it's going to eat me. You know, what's wrong with Egypt? Um, and so Moses is trying to get something across, um, just like we parents need to get across to our kids. I want you to trust me, and I want you to believe me that it was really that bad, um, and I want you to just obey and know that I'm always looking out for your best, um, and prevent them from having to go experience it for themselves and need to be delivered from it later. And so Moses is trying to give this across to this group that doesn't know what slavery is, doesn't know what it's like to be in bondage. It seems like Egypt could be a nice vacation spot, but actually it's bondage and it's slavery, and you can't set yourself free, and you'll find out later you'll ask God to deliver you from it if you stay there too long. And so he's going to get that across to him. In verse 1, these are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel on this side of the Jordan in the wilderness, in the plains, or in the plain opposite Seph, uh, between Paran, Tophel, Laban, uh, Hezeroth, and Dizahab. 
It is 11 days' journey from Horab by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. 11 days. Now, it came to pass in the 14th or the 40th year, excuse me, in the 11th month, on the first day of the month, that Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him as commandments to them after he killed Sion, king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, uh, who dwelt at Ashtaroth in Edria, or Edri, probably. And here's what God says to them. On this side of the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses began to explain this law, saying, The Lord our God spoke to us in Horeb, saying, You have dwelt long enough at this mountain. Eleven days was all the journey was supposed to take. Once they were out of Egypt and across the Red Sea and they're at this mountain, it was an 11-day journey to the Promised Land. It's ended up taking 40 years. Um, And God says, you've dwelt long enough here at this mountain. The mountain is there as a reference point. And I take a look at those things in my life. I look at reference points and I say, you know, how come I'm seeing the same terrain over and over and over again? We've seen it. If you ever watch an old Western back in the 40s or the 30s? Have you ever watched those in the, in the horse chases? You're like, I, I've seen this clip. It's like a loop kind of thing. I've seen that same rock. He's passed that cactus 12 times now. Well, it was a long ride. And that's funny, unless you're the guy running around the mountain thinking you're gaining. And God says to them, and this is, I think, what God would say to every single one of us as Christians even today, you spend enough time at this mountain. It's time to move on. Let's mature. Let's grow. Not that you're not, but there are times and seasons in my life, and I think in yours too, where you find yourself kind of stuck, maybe. It's like, okay, when's the next, it's like a plateau. Where's the next, mm, you know? I remember the mm moments with God when all of a sudden I'd get it and the light bulb would go off and I'd be like, wow, and my life would change. Maybe it's been a while since that's happened. And you think, well, maybe, maybe I'm at the top. Maybe this is all there is. There's not. It's not. There's more. And God would say to each of us, when we get in those situations from our own doing, not from his pauses, sometimes God pauses us in life and sets us down and says, I want you to just sit still and know that I'm God, and that's true. But sometimes it's just us walking around the same mountain because we can't obey, because we can't get it out of our minds. We can't let go of that one thing, and we just find ourselves in that same situation. We recently ran into a couple that's in that same situation. They've, they've done something in their life. I can't be too specific about it because it's private, but... It's easy to see from this perspective. Can't you see you're stuck going around the same mountain? We've been down this road. The same conversation has taken place over and over again. You're coming back to me with the same problems. Nothing's changed. Why? Does God not work anymore? Is His Word not relevant to you? Is it not effective and alive and sharper? Or are you reading it and just not obeying? Because obeying God's Word moves us forward. It always does. Understanding His grace and mercy, being, being able to walk in the Spirit and recognize when you're not walking in the Spirit moves us forward. And so God says to the nation of Israel, 11 days journey from their promised land. We've dwelt long enough here at this mountain. Take, uh, turn and take your journey and go to the mountains of the Amorites, to all the neighboring places in the plain, in the mountains, and in the lowland, in the south, and on the seacoast, to the land of the Canaanites, and to Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them 
um, and their descendants after them. Go get it, guys. I'm ready. I'm ready, God says. You know? And I spoke to you. This is Moses now. And I spoke to you at that time saying, I alone am able to bear you. Or I, I alone am not able to bear you. The Lord your God has multiplied you. And here you are today as the stars of heaven in multitude. May the Lord God of your fathers make you a thousand times more numerous. In other words, I'm not complaining that there's a lot of you. I'm just saying you're too much to handle for me alone. I love it, but I can't do it by myself. How can I alone bear your problems and your burdens and your complaints? (laughs) That should be emphasized. Choose wise, understanding, and knowledgeable men from among your tribes, and I will make them heads over you. And you answered me and said, The thing which you have told us to do is good. They agreed to it. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and knowledgeable men, and made them heads over you, leaders of thousands, leaders of hundreds, leaders of fifties, leaders of tens, and officers for your tribes. And I commanded your judges at that time, saying, Hear the cases between your brethren and, the ju- and, and judge righteously between a man and his brother or the stranger. Who was with him? You shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small as well as the great. You shall not be afraid in any man's presence, for the judgment is God's. The case uh, that is too hard for you, bring to me, and I will hear it. And I commanded you at that time all the things which you should do. And so the, the organization begins to take place. God says to Moses, We need to uh, delegate here, we need to spread out. And this was his. Uh, father-in-law's idea. We remember Moses' father-in-law saying, this is too much for you. you need it. He goes, I know it's too much. Well, you need to do this. And he says, that's wisdom. I think that's right. And they begin to do it. I like this. I don't want you to be afraid in any man's presence because the judgment's God's. You're not to be afraid because you have the power over that person. You don't have to be afraid because the judgment is God's. The fear is they're going to think that I think that they're terrible people or that for whatever reason, they're not going to like me if I'm judged. I don't want you to be afraid of that. What you're saying to them isn't from your heart, it's from God's heart. Keep that in mind when you're witnessing or when you get the people saying, don't judge me, when all you've done is shared a scripture with them that may have exposed a sin in their life. Sometimes it's hard not to talk to people about their sin. We need to do that. They, they need to know they're sinners before they know they have a Savior. Savior from what? Well, you've got to talk to them about their sin. In our day and age, though, we've got this thing going on where you can't say anything because you're no better than they are. There's no question we're no better than they are. I think maybe how we present ourselves could help them understand there's no difference between us. We need to be gracious and merciful and loving and and humble when you do it. But we're not to be afraid to actually say it because it's not our judgment, it's God's judgment. I'm under the same judgment. The thing I just shared with you, I'm under as well. It's not that I'm above you. It's that we all need to know this information. We're doing it for them. We're doing it to help them. And that's a good test for us. Am I doing it to help them? Am I doing it so that they repent, so they, so they know and they're warned about what's coming? Or do I say it just because I want to be right or I want them to know that they're wrong or that I'm better or higher or more mature or whatever it is? Or is it honestly because you want them to know because you fear for their life? You know, 
That's what someone does when they run into a burning building. They're crying out, fire, fire, not because they want to be right, but because they're desperate for everybody to know to get out of there because there's danger coming. You need to do that. Knocking on all the doors, screaming and yelling, you need to get out of here. Yes, I'm in danger too, and if I stay here long enough, I'm going to perish. But at least I am aware there's a fire, and I need to let you know that. That's what Christ is for. That's the gospel. We're all in danger. The world is in danger. It's not our judgment, it's God's. And so he, he says, don't be afraid. Verse 19, so we departed from Horab. And went through all the great and terrible wilderness which you saw on the way to the mountains of the Amorites, as the Lord our God had commanded us. Remember, it's supposed to be a great and terrible wilderness. <laughs> it's, not a, it's an okay place to live, or let's figure out how to do it here. We watch Animal Planet sometimes, and we see these different creatures that have learned how to survive. Some of them are amazing. I like the lizards that get the water dew off their back, and their body has channels where the water migrates to the corners of their mouth. And they just sit there and they wait for the dew drop to fall and they go, and they just lick it. I'm like, that's awesome. Everything about them is designed to suck up as much moisture as it can and it works its way by itself to the corners of their mouth and they eat it. That's great. Guys, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be the lizard in the world. I've figured out and if I wait long enough and, you know, I, I don't want to be that. God says, well, how about I put you in a tropical paradise where there's lots of water and plenty of food, you know? My spiritual walk needs to be in the middle of a lush, beautiful garden. That was the intent. I think about the Bible college at, at Costa Mesa or at, uh, at Marietta when uh, we were out there for senior pastors conference. Chuck would talk about that. And he says, some people don't like it that it's an oasis. They don't like it that it's plush and nice. And then and he goes, that's not why I built it. I built it for this reason, so that the people had a place to be alone, to set them, their lives aside to learn about God. Every time you walk, there's a scripture sometimes you'll catch into the cobblestone or on the rock or something like that. There's spiritual reminders throughout as you go there, and it's quiet and peaceful on purpose. It's, it's not to be unrealistic. We know what's beyond the iron gates. We know what's beyond. We know the world is out there. But God's always intended us to be in a garden with Him. He's always intended us to have that quiet, beautiful place to spend with him. He's always wanted that for us, whether that's at a, a Marietta or whether that's out here. We hope to make this place something like that. Not that great, obviously, but someplace that's just quiet. You hear birds and you can, just, you can just hear wind, you know, and be alone with the Lord and get close to him. He's never wanted us to become accustomed to the desert, the wilderness. It's always been a terrible place. I want to take you to a promised land. I want to take you to where there's more. And so, uh, we wanted you to come. And so, you have come from the mountains of the Amorites, and the Lord your God has given to us. Look, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it, as the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you. Do not fear, be discouraged. And every one of you, come near to me, and said, every one of you came near to me and said, let us send men before us, and let them search out the land for us, and bring back word to us of the way by which we should go up, and of the cities into which we shall come. The plan pleased me well, Moses says. So I took twelve of your men, one man from each tribe, and they departed and went up into the mountains and came to the valley of Eshcol and spied it out. They also took some of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down to us. And they brought back word to us saying, It is a good land which the Lord our God is giving us. That's what Moses heard. Moses said, I remember them coming back and them telling me how great it was. Well, 
we know the story. There was only two that said that, Joshua and Caleb. But there were 10 others that were saying, absolutely not, it's impossible. You can't do it. And that's what the rest of the folks heard. See, Moses had faith. He believed God. And so when he hears the two reports, he believes the one that lines up with God. Now the folks that didn't have faith, that didn't believe, didn't want to follow God, they heard the bad reports that were brought by flesh and not by the Spirit of God. There's always going to be a report. and There's always going to be two of them. And anything that you do, Someone's always got an opinion on the matter. That's the problem sometimes. You ever regret ever asking anybody their opinion? Hey, what do you think of this? I don't know. That's a horrible idea. Boy, I was really excited until I came and talked to you about it. I really felt it was God, you know? I don't know. I wouldn't do it if I were you. Did you pray about it? Have you thought about it? Are you considering God's bigger than that? I mean, has God even come into, the, into your mind when you gave me that opinion? Well, I, I guess God can do anything. Oh, I was the wrong person to ask. I want to ask someone of faith, not because I want to hear the right answer, not because I want to hear a yes, that's important too, but I want to hear someone who thinks about God and puts him into the equation of the situation. You know, Do you think this is a good idea to go to Africa? I was reading this in Scripture, and I saw that, and someone mentioned that. What do you think? Pfft, obviously that's God. I pray that way all the time. I wish God would speak that clearly to me. Go with, God, go with you. You know, someone who thinks like that. That's why he wants us to have godly advisors, not just advisors. Because there's always going to be those two opinions, someone who has faith and someone who doesn't. And Moses, here's the one of faith. Nevertheless, verse 26, you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you complained in your tents (laughs) and said, because I laugh because that's where the complaining does. You know, we don't do it here. Merry, you know, happy Sunday to you, you know, and we say, and then we get in the car. You know, I don't know, I don't know about that. And we get home, we're like, you know that person, you know what that, and it comes up. It's like, wait a minute. I'm not saying you guys do that. That's just me. You got to be careful about complaining in the tents. I'm guilty of it. I find myself wishing life was a little easier and that person didn't say that one thing or do that one thing or whatever. It's hard not to. But God wants us to not be the complainers in the tents. Anyway, this is where the rebellion starts, the complaining in the tents. And the complaining in the tents gets the whole family complaining, gets them all looking the same way. Then they come out of the tents, and everybody's looking, are you thinking what I'm thinking? Because we've been talking in our tent. And all of a sudden, no one's looking at God. They're only hearing their complaints. That's when things go south. Unbelief settles into the camp. You were complaining in your tents and said, because the Lord hates us, yeah, obviously God hates you. That's why he delivered you from Egypt, set you free from slavery, gave you all the booty from Egypt. You walked out with more gold than you could ever think or carry. You have more cattle now than ever. Your shoes have never run out. I love that part. I don't know why I stick to that. But their shoe soles never ran out for 40 years. They had shoes, same shoes. Yeah, obviously God hates you, sarcasm. He has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts. Well, ten of them did. Saying the people are greater and taller than we. No offense, but the average height of a Jew was 5'2". Who wasn't taller than these folks? Okay. 
I've gotten over my, I've gotten over my height problem, okay? I just don't stand too close to tall people, and I'm working on my width. I'm going to grow one way or the other. I'm going to get there. It's mass. So I'm talking about mass now. Because the Lord hates us, He has brought us out, and everybody's taller than us. We don't want to go there. Our brethren have discouraged our hearts. Their cities are great, fortified up to heaven. Moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there. And everybody knows who the Anakim were. And, you know, everybody says, well, these were just men of renown. They were very important people. Very, no, they were just really big people. And they may be really rich because they were bigger than everybody else. So they beat everybody else up and took their stuff. But they were huge. They were giants of the land. He's going to mention that several times in these two chapters. Then I said to you, after you guys said you didn't want to go, here's what I said. Do not be terrified or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you according to all he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son in all the way that you went until you came to this place. God's been carrying us so far. What's, what makes you think he's going to drop you now? You know, I think that's what Paul's heart was as we went through Galatians last Wednesday. You know, oh foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Are you going to be now made perfect in the flesh? Do you think he brought you out of Egypt and did all these miraculous signs and now he's going to say, boy, I hope you do well. I can't even watch. You know, no, he's going to go with you just like he's been with you all the times before. It's never been us. It's always been God and he doesn't hate us. Anyway, yet for all that, you did not believe the Lord your God and that's the problem who went in the way before you to reach out a place, uh, I'm sorry, to search out a place for you to pitch your tents, to show you the way you should go in the fire by night and in the cloud by day. God delivered them from a very difficult situation because of their prayer. And I think we can all identify that. We've all prayed our way through difficult situations. This is a whole other thing that God's asking them to do there. Now, I've delivered you from the situation you found yourself in. Now I'm asking you to put yourself in a difficult situation and continue to let me provide for you and take care of you. That's different. I want you to willingly walk into this dangerous place and trust me to take care of you in this problem. I don't want to always get you out of the problems that you find yourself in, but I also want you to obey me enough to walk into these problems when I ask you to. Because I'll get you out of there, but I need you there right now. I want to use you. That's important to understand about God. It's believing Him. It's obeying Him. It's easy to obey Him when He wants to get you out of Egypt. It's difficult to obey Him when He wants you to go into a land that's very hostile, full of giants. But I want you to believe me, He says. And the Lord heard the sound of your words and was angry and took an oath, saying, Surely not one of these men of, the evil, of this evil generation shall see that good land of which I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephnua, I think, he shall see it. And to him his ch and his children I am giving the land on which he walked, because he wholly followed the Lord. The Lord was also angry with me for your sakes, saying, Even you shall not go in there. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall go in there. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. So in other words, I'm not even going in, but these two guys are because they wholly follow God. That's a humbling thing to write down for all eternity and for everybody to read. Guys, why don't you believe God? Joshua did. Caleb did. 
I didn't. That's a humbling thing. I'm with you guys, but I've learned from it. See, Moses learned from it, and he wants them to learn from it too. Moreover, your little ones and your children who you say will be victims, who today have no knowledge of good and evil, they shall go in there. To them I will give it, and they shall possess it. But as for you, turn and take your journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And that was the history that they said. I I think it's interesting. He calls them these little ones. These are 20 years old and under who had no knowledge of good and evil. We talk about the age of accountability, and there isn't really a specific thing as, well, how old do you have to be before you need Jesus? Like if you died at eight and you didn't know Jesus, would you go to heaven? And you know, they get those questions that go on your mind. I don't know because he doesn't tell us that. He doesn't give us that. But he does, we see things like this that gives us a hint. All of you, all of your children who say we're going to be victims are going to see it because today they have no knowledge of good and evil. That's, that's like garden purity almost. That's what, that's what Moses is getting at. Now, I know we're all born with a sin nature. Don't, I don't want to debate theologically with you. I understand that. But they're not being held accountable for it yet, apparently. They have no knowledge of good and evil. And so he says, but they will. They will go into the promised land even though you don't. Then you answered after I told you the bad news. And you guys said to me, we have sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight, just as the Lord our God commanded us. And when every one of you had girded on his weapons of war, you were ready to go up into the mountain. And the Lord said to me, Tell them, do not go up nor fight, for I am not among you, lest you be defeated before your enemies. So I spoke to you, yet you would not listen, but rebelled against the command of the Lord and presumptuously went up into the mountain. Then the Amorites who dwelt in that mountain came out against you and chased you as bees do and drove you back from Seir to Hormah. Then you returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord would not listen to your voice nor give ear to you. So you remained in Kadesh many days according to the days that you spent there. The sin of presumption. This is another tough one, even for me. Um, you know, I've learned and I've studied this stuff before and you'd think you'd get it down, but I don't like it when I fail God. And I think it's a natural thing for us to want to make it right, and to get right, a lot of times it seems like that, that was a window of opportunity. You didn't believe me that you could go into the promised land and take it, and you didn't walk by faith, failure. Now that you realize that failure, though, I've also given you another command, and that's to not go in, and I want you to spend the rest of your lives out here in the wilderness. Another opportunity to believe him. And that's where they make their mistake. They don't believe God twice here. First, that they could go in, and second, that they couldn't go in. Both are belief. And we need to get that in our hearts as Christians. It's not always moving forward. Sometimes I want you to stay here. That opportunity's passed. It's a, it's a boat that's sailed. Now I've told you, my next word to you, now that that's gone, isn't go ahead and do that. It's I want you to stay right here and do this now. Oh, but that was so much better. Door number one was way better than door number two. You ever remember that game show? Wishing you had, never mind, the young kids don't, but you had an opportunity to pick three doors, door number one, door number two, door number three, and they'd show you one door and say, here's what it has. But then there's two and three, and that could be better, or it could be just this big box of toilet paper or something. You didn't know what it was. Ah, and so they got greedy, and they'd say, door number two, and there's the toilet paper. And every one of them said, "Ah, can I go back to the original, you know? No, you get what you get, and you don't throw a fit. 
That's what we told our kids all the time. Well, sometimes God says, no, I know it's not the best. It's the second best, but it is what I've asked you to do today. This is what I want you to do. I have an opportunity to believe God. See, he's not looking at our best life down here in this world. He's looking for us to have our best life with him in heaven. And I want you to learn obedience, and I want you to learn belief now, here, before you can or if you make it up here. I want you to learn to obey me. Good, bad, or ugly, I want you to obey my voice. Because when you're here, you're going to obey me. I'm going to be the king. And so here's an opportunity for them to say, it doesn't matter that it's 40 years in the wilderness as long as we're obeying you. That's all that matters to me. And that takes time for that to get into the Christian's heart. That it's okay no matter where I am, as long as I'm with you. As long as I'm with you. No matter where you take me, as long as I'm with you. You're my treasure. You're my destination. A land flowing with milk and honey without you is worthless. A desert with you is, is priceless. But it's you that I want, God. Not health. I don't want money. I don't want better relationships. I don't want power. I don't want prestige. I don't care what I look like as long as I have a good relationship with you. That's all I want. Opportunity to believe, and they don't. Chapter 2. Then we turned and journeyed into the wilderness of the way um, of the Red Sea, and the Lord spoke to me, and we skirted Mount Seir for many days. And the Lord spoke to me, saying, You have skirted this mountain long enough. Turn northward. And command the people, saying, You are about to pass through the territory of your brethren, the descendants of Esau, who live in Seir. And they will be afraid of you. They're not going to like the idea of you coming up to their land. There's a lot of you. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully. Do not meddle with them. For I will not give you any of their land, not so much as one footstep, because I have given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. You shall buy food from them with money. That you may eat. You shall also buy water from them with money that you may drink. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all your work and all the work of your hands. He knows you're, tr you're, you're trudging through this great wilderness these 40 years. The Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. Lesson here. You're going to see this three different times, I believe, if I, re if I remember reading it right. Um, this is the first time where there's land that God's already given to somebody else, it's theirs. Just because I'm walking with God doesn't mean I get everything I want. No, that's for them. I've got something different for you. That's for them. And to be content with that. And Moses was so obedient in this. Do you remember the story? He walked up and Esau's like, you're not coming through my land. I just want to walk through. We'll buy everything for you. If anybody makes a mistake or does something or takes water without asking, we'll pay you for it. We're sorry. We just want to get through the land. And they obey in this, and that's a good thing. But that's our first opportunity, we see, our first chance that we see God doing something with another group of people. And it's okay. And it's Esau of all people. You'd think Esau could be evicted, but no. God says, no, no, it's his. I've given it to him. Here's the second group. And when we pass beyond our brethren, the descendants of Esau who dwell in Seir, away from the road of the plain, away from Elath and Ezion, uh, uh, Gibir, we turned and passed by way of the wilderness to Moab. Then the Lord said to me, Do not harass Moab, really the Moabites, nor contend with them in battle, for I will not give you any of their land as a possession, because I have given Ar to the descendants of Lot as a possession. It's not your land either. 
why are we touring these places then? We're just tourists. I want you to know I'm working here. I don't want you to know I'm working here. I'm going to get you to your place, but that's not yours and that's not yours. You know? Well, it looks pretty good. It's not yours. I haven't given it to you. But I have given you something. Then, and the, the, now he's got this is a parenthetical statement. This whole paragraph is just something he's throwing in there. The Imam had dwelt there in time past in this land. A people as great, adubrous, and tall as the Anakim. So these were giants also. They were also regarded as giants like the Anakim. Uh, but the Moabites called them Emim or Imim. The Horites formerly dwelt in Seir, but the descendants of Esau dispossessed them and destroyed them from before them and dwelt in their place, just as Israel did to the land of their possession, which the Lord gave them. Just a little background there. Now rise and cross over the valley of Zered. So we crossed over the valley of Zered. And the time we took to, co- and the time we took to come to Kadesh Barnea until we crossed over the valley of the Zered was 38 years until the generation of the men of war had consumed, had been consumed, or was consumed, from the midst of the camp, just as the Lord had sworn to them. For indeed, the hand of the Lord was against them to destroy them from the midst of the camp until they were consumed. None of you guys can make it in. I've got to consume you. It took a long time to get there, 38 years. So it was. When all the men of war had finally perished from among the people, that the Lord spoke to me, saying, This day... You are to cross over at Ar, the boundary of Moab. And when you come near the people of Ammon, do not harass them or meddle with them, for I will not give you any of the land of the people of Ammon as a possession, because I have given it to the descendants of Lot as a possession. There's our third group. And I don't want to spiritualize the text too much, but God will oftentimes bring us by as tourists and say, well, you know, whatever it may be, hey, that's a good-looking guy. Yeah, but he's not yours. Yeah, but he'll do. I mean, he'll do, right? Well, that's a good-looking gal. She sure is. She's godly. She loves the Lord. She sure does, but she's not for you. I've given her to somebody else. Not everything is for ours to take. It's for God to give and to recognize that. Well, that's a great job. It is a good job. It's a great job, but it's not for you. You know, in all sorts of different ways, God will do that for us. Just because it's good doesn't mean it's God's gift to you. It's when he tells us. It's when he tells us that this one's for you. This job's for you. This house is for you. This place is for you. This ministry's for you. This is what I've given you, but I haven't given you the others that you seem to be coveting. He wants us to be content with what we have. Stay here. I've been tested in that. I've told the story several times. Calvary Chapel St. Joe was offered to me years ago. 12 years ago now, I think. Jim Morgan was leaving, and he wanted to know if I wanted. They had a radio station. They had a worship band. We were still using cassettes. We were worshiping to mix music. I would make mix tapes. (laughs) We've changed, that's for sure. And he says, you know, know, do you want this? you want to take this over? I talk to the people, and I'm like, no. I mean, I've always wanted those things. A radio station would be great, and I think a worship band would be great. Um, and our own building, they had their own building too. We didn't have a building yet. We were still leasing. I said, that'd be great. I said, but I never wanted that stuff for me. We wanted that stuff for the people. And me leaving and getting that doesn't fulfill those prayer requests. It just means I get it. It doesn't mean the people get it. Not that you guys would have. I mean, God takes care of people whether I'm here or not. But the point was, that wasn't for me. 
um, it was everything I had asked for. It was everything I had prayed for. And some would say, but you've been praying for it. There it is. He's handing it to you on a golden platter. I was like, yeah, but that's, I just know I prayed about it. God said, no, because it won't bless the folks I've called you to. It'll only bless you. So, okay. So I said, no. Anyway, and now they've got Chuck. He's a great pastor. Anyway, we all get tested in that stuff, but you you got to pray about it and see. Just because it looks good doesn't mean it's of God. Um, and even if it's an answered, even if it looks like the answered prayer, it might not be His for you. And look where we are now. No radio station, though. Get that back. Probably put. Well, never mind. It doesn't go on the radio anymore, anyway. So it was when all the men of war had finally perished from among the people that the Lord spoke to me, saying, This day you are to cross over. Did I just read all that? I did. Uh, that was also regarded as a land of giants. Giants formerly dwelt there. And they mean giants. They're huge, nine foot plus. But the Ammonites called them Zums, or Zamzum. Zamzumim. Okay. <laughs> now, now God's just messing with us now. <laughs> Call them Zamzumim. As people as great and numerous and as tall... As the Anakim, these guys have a short complex. But the Lord destroyed them before them, and they dispossessed them and dwelt in their place, just as he had done for the descendants of Esau, who dwelt in Seir, when he destroyed the Horites from before them. Uh, they dispossessed them and dwelt in their place even to this day. And the Avim, who dwelt in villages as far as Gaza, the Kaphatorib, uh, I think that's how it's pronounced, and uh, who came to... Uh, Kaftor destroyed them and dwelt in their place. A little background. Rise, take your journey and cross over the river Arnon. Look, I have given you or given into your hand Sion, the Amorite, king of Heshbon, and his land. That's yours. Begin to possess it and engage him in battle. This day, and I want you to start the fight. Engage him. Get in there, he says. This day, I will begin to put the dread and fear of you upon the nations under the whole heaven, who shall hear the report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. God does that to people, brings that fear. Now here's something for us. He doesn't bring fear and anguish upon us, and when that comes, that's not from God. He's given us a spirit of power and of might, but not of fear. And so when I fear that fear and I begin to anguish and tremble over the thought of them or it or whatever it is, that's not from God. Recognize who that is. The feeling's real. What's come upon you is real, but it's not from the Lord. I need to reckon to give that over to God and say, I know this is from my enemy. I know that. That's the fear that came upon the ten that didn't allow the nation of Israel to go into the promised land. The enemy stirred up fear and anguish and made them tremble in front of their enemies instead of the other way around. God makes our enemies tremble before us. Know that he's working on the other side of that. He is causing our enemies to fear and tremble at, at his name, but we come in his name, okay? Don't be afraid. And I sent messengers from the wilderness of Kedemoth um, to Sion, king of Heshbon, the words of peace, saying, let me pass through your land. I will keep strictly to the road, and I will turn neither to the right nor to the left, you shall sell me food uh, for money that I may eat, and give me water for money that I may drink, only let me pass through, not, uh, through on foot, just as the descendants of Esau who dwelt in Seir, and the Moabites who dwelt uh, in Ar, 
did for me until I crossed the Jordan to the land which the Lord our God is giving us. But Sion, king of Heshbon, would not let us pass through. For the Lord your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate that he might deliver him into your hand as it is this day. That's the sovereignty of God there. This guy had no interest in helping them out, and God says, I'm going to make your decision firm. I'm not going to even give you that opportunity. You're not going to be able to. He steps in. You've decided that you're not going to bless my people. You've hated them. I'm going to harden your spirit and make it obstinate. And he did, because he wanted to see and give them the victory. And the Lord said to me, See, I have begun to give Sion and his land over to you. Begin to possess it, that you may inherit his land. Then Sion and all his people came out against to fight, against us to fight at Jahaz. And, uh, and the Lord our God delivered him over to us. So we defeated him, his sons, and all his people. We took all his cities at that time. We utterly destroyed the men, the women, the little ones of every city. We left nothing remaining. We took ourselves uh, with the spoil, I'm sorry, we took, our, we took only the livestock as plunder for ourselves and the spoil of the cities which we took. From uh, Aurora, um, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, and from the city that is in the, ra- in the, in the uh, ravine, ravine, is that ravine? Uh, yeah. As far as Gilead, I don't think I've ever read that word in a book. Okay. As far as Gilead, except this one. As far as Gilead, there was not one city too strong for us. The Lord our God delivered all to us. Only you did not go near the land of the people of Ammon. Anywhere along the river Jabbok or to the cities of the mountains or wherever the Lord our God had forbidden us. We made it. Okay, or I did anyway. Um, we did it, and God did it. Their first test, their first opportunity, we got it all. And they utterly destroyed the cancer that was going to affect them as well. Remember the commandment. I don't want you to have any friendship or any agreements with the enemy. They have to be completely and utterly destroyed. And they've, the first act of obedience, they did it. All right, that's where we close today. This morning we're going to have our time of communion. A little piece of bread and a little cup of juice. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, Paul says, Jesus took the bread and broke it and said, Take and eat, this is my body broken for you. As often as you eat this bread, do this in remembrance of me. It was symbolic. He wanted them to know, my body's going to be broken for you tomorrow. And I want you to remember that. When you see me broken, and the next time you have this meal, or whenever you have this meal, as often as you have this meal, I want you to remember that my body was broken for you. I'm not against you. Thank you, Mick. And so they probably passed it around and had that little piece of bread in their hand like we do today. That's what the guys are doing. He also took the cup that they were drinking from at that time. He says, take and drink. This is the cup of my blood, the new covenant. My, body's, my blood's going to be shed for you, and that's tomorrow. And I want you to do this as often as you eat this or drink this. I want you to do this in remembrance of me, that my blood's going to be shed for you, in place of you. And as they could see him on the cross the next day, they would be reminded of that, of what he said. And the next time they held this in their hands, they were reminded that he was for them, and that there's a new covenant, a covenant of grace, a covenant of mercy, And the Spirit of God dwells there. He dwells in that mercy. He dwells in that grace. That's where the Spirit of God is, the fruit of the Spirit. He doesn't dwell in legalism, and He doesn't dwell in self-righteousness, but He does dwell in righteousness imputed and given to us. And as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we remember that. This is supposed to be somewhat of a humbling time for us. 
This bread and this cup represents that I'm not going to heaven ever because of what I've done, but only because of what he's done. But it's also to remind us that it's not good news to know that we're in his hands and we're, he's not in ours. He's got me. I don't have a hold of him. I want to. I try to. But his strength is so much more than mine. His grip is so much tighter than mine. And he has me in his hands. And this is to remind us of that. Jesus says, I know that you guys are all going to forsake me tomorrow, but I'm still going. I'm still going to die for you. And he wants us to do this to remind ourselves of that. So let's take some time. Just pray. Seek the Lord. Some have the misconception that they can't eat or drink because they've sinned this week or because they haven't been holy enough. This is exactly when you do eat and drink. Because we know it had nothing to do with our performance this week. It had everything to do with His at the cross. And so feel free to eat and drink this morning if He's your Lord and Savior, if you're born again. Lord, when the disciples and, and you all ate together that day, you became one with them. That's what eating together does. Um, you took some of the bread that they had and you drank from the same cup they drank from and you became one and they became one with you. And Lord, that's what happens to us, Lord, when we do this. We're reminded that this is the bread you offered and this is the cup you've offered from your hand to ours. And we willingly accept it this morning. We thank you for it. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you for your death on the cross and your willingness to sacrifice yourself for us. Thank you for taking all of my sins and paying for every one of them, past, present, and future. And Lord, thank you for rising again and proving it and showing us so that we would know that your sacrifice was accepted by your Father. And that's how we know. And this reminds us of that today. So Lord, we, we hope we were a blessing to you today as we sang, as we heard your word. And we're going to be doers of your word. Now, Lord, help us to go walk in your spirit, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. See. It's a little grape juice is what it is. Just a little. Yeah. Someday, buddy. Afterwards, everybody gets to finish it. All the kids go over and finish it. So if you want to grab some, you're welcome to. Lord, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for sweet little kids. Ah, what a blessing they are. And uh, innocence and shows us your, uh, your mercy and your forgiveness right in their little eyes. They're so quick to forgive, so quick to love, so quick to hug. God, help us as this week goes on, we'd be that quick and that aware of the needs around us and the people around us. And our conversations would reflect you, God. Help us to just be good sons and daughters of yours, um, that we'd represent you well this week. Cracked vessels, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.